Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I'm sorry. The Lord, while I was up here and they were singing, I felt something else in the Holy Ghost. And so, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I want to speak just a little while today. won't be long. I want to talk about justified by the blood. Justified by the blood. Let's give the Lord one more hand praise. Praise God. Isn't God good? Come on, let's praise him a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're going to help me preach a little bit, you can be seated. Amen. Now, while you and I were in this room today, greeting one another, worshiping, and listening to these wonderful praise singers, uh, we are blessed with the talent and all that God has given to us in life. And the things that we know we need to be grateful for. There are things that we take for granted. While we've been here, each of us have taken between 12 and 15 breaths every minute. And we haven't even considered it, haven't even gave it thought. We just do it instinctively. We just do it involuntarily. Because God made the act of breathing spontaneous. And so we just do it unconscious. Because God knew that we had to be that way because we would get so caught up in talking and all of the dialogues and deeds that we'd forget to pray. I'm sorry. And so God hardwired our lungs on automatic because God knew that breathing was so important that he could not trust us with it to do on our own. So because of his inspired influence, we just breathe. In this room right now, the atmosphere is 78 parts of gas, known as nitrogen, and 21 parts of gas, known as oxygen. Now, oxygen is not in nitrogen, and nitrogen is not in oxygen. But they're both in this atmosphere this morning. And that's the reason we come and praise him, because... David said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created our lungs so incredible that when we inhale this nitrogen and this oxygen composition that is in this room and we take it into our lungs, there it is separated one from another. It's a process that's called osmosis. 
and the oxygen that our lungs separates for us through these thin membranes, walls of our lungs, this oxygen will get deposited in the blood. And just a drop of this blood, small enough to feel the letter zero in your Bible, contains five million red blood cells and 300,000 platelets and plasma and also 7,000 white blood cells. Then there is the pump that we call the heart. It beats on an average about 70 beats a minute, about 100,000 times in 24 hours. It discharges an average of, I don't know, about six liters of blood every minute, 144 liters every day. And this incredible pump never stops to rest. Its valves open and they close 4,000 to 5,000 times an hour. And this highly oxidated blood will flow through about 60,000 miles of pipes and plumbing that is called arteries and veins and capillaries. And it will never, never stop beating and pumping. But it is this blood that renews and refurbishes the old blood or this oxygen that we inhale. In about every 23 seconds, this blood carries cells and antibiotics that will fight against infection. It regulates our body temperature. It transports unwanted products to our kidneys and liver. And we have about five or six quarts of this fluid that is called blood. And this blood flows through the Bible just as it does through our veins. Blood is spoken of 427 times in the word of the Lord. Leviticus 17 and 11 says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that is not just physical, but that is the eternal life. Without the blood, the gospel is dead, and we are deprived of eternal life. The human body is one of the greatest of creations, designed and it is formed by the creative creator of the universe. And this body, magnificent in order, in origin, it, was, it is flawless in its operation and amazing in its study. And in every human body, there is a human or there is an eternal soul. Now that, now that I've taken you to school, I'm going to unpack your books for you now. Now let me, let me help you here. God spoke to me just a little while and I'm sitting on this platform. I want to share some things with you. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, God commendeth his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are justified by the blood of Jesus. We sing that song, What Can Wash Away Our Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can make us whole again? But nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. This precious blood that flows through us makes us what we are. Now listen. It is precious because it cleanses us from our past. Our brother that sang so good, if I could sing like that, I'd quit preaching and get me a tour bus. This blood cleanses us of our past, and it erases the recordings of all wrongdoings. And if you need your soul saved, nothing but the blood of Jesus can take care of that. If you need your body healed, nothing but the blood of Jesus can help. If you need deliverance, nothing but the blood of Jesus can take care of that. If you need joy in your soul, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. If you need to be saved, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the blood. So without question, the most valuable fluid in the world is the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other legal liquid that can deal with sin like the virtuous love or blood of Jesus. If the only it is the only spiritual detergent that can remove the stain of sin on the human soul. It can vindicate. We are vindicated by the blood. We become blameless by the blood. In the beginning, Adam, he messed up the entire DNA of the world when he defiantly became disobedient. He transmuted the spirituality of the soul, and he altered the mysterious between the substance and the spirit. Sin created this horrible monster that we call death. And it has been transmuted from one generation to the next. But the very fact that sin affected the blood, God provided a way by which Jesus, born of a woman, the perfect sinless sacrifice that he would come and he would shed his blood that we might become righteous like him and we might be cleansed and find redemption through his blood. That's why Matthew 26 says, My blood that is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now listen to me. If sin was just a money problem, you can bet the government would figure out a way to finance it. And if sin was a legal problem, we could just meet with a local attorney 
And if sin was an ignorant problem, we could educate it. And if sin was a physical problem, we could medicate it. But none of these things can handle the sin in our life, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. We are justified as if it never happened by the blood of Jesus. And no one can describe that power of the blood. And we cannot even describe of that day that there was such a serious feeling that fell over that, that crowd when they crucified our God on the cross. The trial and the taking of the life of Jesus, what all they did to him is beyond our imagination, but a story that needs to be told occasionally. They shamed him. They spit upon him. They stripped him. They humiliated him. They hated him. His hands and his feet were nailed to an upright and transverse structure called a cross. Soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith, the Bible says in John 19, there came out blood and water. The blood remits, but the water renews. The blood saves, but the water sustains. The blood heals, but the water fills. I'm telling you, God took care of everything on the cross. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. Now, what's this? Jesus is dying between two thieves. You know the story. Jesus, it said in Mark chapter 8, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. Luke 43, then one of the thieves said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou get to your kingdom. Don't forget me. And Jesus says something very interesting here. As a lot of we ministers like to kind of evade. And Jesus said unto him in Matthew 12, As Jonah, what's this? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Everybody say the heart of the earth. You get that? And so Jesus said to this thief on the side, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now for you theologians, I want you to remind you that this was before Pentecost. This was before the Holy Ghost was outpoured. And so this was before the sinless blood was even shed. So that makes it very interesting. And then Mark says in Mark 15, Jesus cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost. That means he died. And verse 44, about the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the earth and the sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. And then something happened in the spirit that affected the soul of man. 
Now, here, here's the clincher here. This is what I want to just kind of bring home here. We focus on Good Friday, and rightfully so, and we celebrate Easter, and that's a good thing. But we forget what Jesus did those three days and three nights before the resurrection. Now, let me illustrate this to you. It's a story in Scripture that has been misunderstood by many, many preachers and ministers through the millenniums, and some churches have built doctrines around it for and capitalized on, on monetary gain. And, but it's found in Luke chapter 16. Matter of fact, here, here's a story, and Jesus tells it. Jesus starts the story out in verse 22. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. And rich man, the rich man also died, and he was buried. Verse 23. And the rich man in hell, he lifts up his eyes, and being in torment, he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus, this is the beggar, in his bosom. Verse 24. And the rich man cried and said, now, i got to understand, he's in hell. They talking in hell. Oh, y'all didn't get that. So Abraham, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in the flames. Now there, there is the dialogue that's going on after death now and there is this conversation that's going on in this, this place somewhere, this, this, this holding tank, if you please. The rich man talks to Lazarus, uh, to Abraham, and he says to him, now, now, you know, he can't do that. There's a great gulf between us, and, and uh, we can't go over there, and you can't come over here. And so you're just in bad luck. Now, now, watch this. This place was called the heart of the earth. And there may be some that disagree with me, and you've got a right to be wrong, but here's, uh, here's my take on it. I believe that in the heart of the earth, there was two compartments. And one on one side was a flaming hell, or that place, if you were not right, that's where you went. And then there was... On the other side of this great gulf, other side, there was a holding tank or there was a cell where those patriarchs and prophets before Pentecost, before Pentecost, when they died, they would go to that place. And they would be held there hoping one day we're going to be delivered because the blood had not been applied yet. Am I making sense? Now, what's this? When the Old Testament saints died, they would go to that place, and they would call it, some called it paradise, because the innocent blood had not yet been shed. That is why Jesus could say to the thief on the cross beside him, Verily I say unto thee, Today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? 
because I'm about to shed my blood and I'm about to go to that holding tank and I'm fixing to set some people free there because they are waiting for the blood to be applied. And then he said, it is finished. The redemption price was paid and the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin was then shed. Now let me explain it this way. Ever since the beginning of time or the sins of men, this great holding area, if you please, paradise, was a waiting room. It was a, it was a dwelling place that they called paradise. And then across the other gulf, there was what we call hell. And so this, this, this place called paradise, it's, it's now filling up with all of these righteous prophets. And here they are in this holding tank. You got Abraham and Aaron. You got Daniel and David and Joshua and, and Joseph and Nehemiah and Noah and Elijah and Elisha and Samson and Samuel. They're all over there. You got to realize they're all hostage in this holding tank called the heart of the earth. And they're all waiting as captives to be carried away, to be delivered because they knew liberation is coming. When the blood, the pure blood is shed, we're going to get out of here. Okay. Now let me use my imagination. This is Lacombe chapter 7. I just believe that every time an old patriarch would die, that those in that holding tank, they'd be looking out the door and out the window, wondering, I wonder if he's going to come today. I wonder if he's going to come deliver us and set us free today. And so they would all gather at the doors and windows and look. And so one day they looked out and an old gray-haired man started coming down the road and it echoed through that holding tank. He's coming. That's him. We're going to be delivered. When he got to the door in harmony, they said, are you the one? You, you the one that came to deliver us? Are you the one who shed your blood for us? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. I am Isaiah. But let me tell you what he told me. He, I, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting down upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And the whole earth was full of his glory. I'm not him, but he is coming. And let me tell you about him. He told me that he was going to anoint me to preach the good tidings to the meek. He was going to send me to bind up the brokenhearted. He told me I'm going to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. I'm not him, but he's coming. And then one day, they sit and 
they looked, and here comes another man walking down the road. And they said, that's got to be him. It's just got to be. When he got to the door, they said, are you the one? He said, no, I'm, I'm not the one. I'm not he. He said, uh, my name's David. But he said, the Lamb of God inspired me one day to write. And I wrote in Psalm 16, thou shalt not leave my soul in hell. We're not going to stay here. We're going to get out of here. And that word hell is actually the Hebrew word of paradise. And I, and then he said, I was inspired to write again. And in Psalm 71, 20, he said, he shall bring me up from the depths of the earth. He is coming. He's not going to leave our soul in hell, and we're not going to have to stay in the depths of the earth. I'm not him, but he's on his way. Time goes by, and then one day another man, they see him walking down the road. He's a wild-looking guy, and that dude has grasshopper legs and honey in his beard, and and he stunk, and <laughs> they said, are you the one? He said, no, I'm not the one. I'm not, but I'm kin to him. He's my cousin. He said, matter of fact, I'm not even, I'm not worthy to even bend down Ty's shoes. Huh. But let me tell you something. He's on his way. We think they can get delivered. That blood is about to be applied. We're fixing to get out of here. And so anticipation is now building and growing. And Daniel is now talking to David and three Hebrew children. They're all huddled together, you know. And I wonder when he's going to come. And all of a sudden they look up. Here comes another man. He's walking down the road and they see him. He has blood on his hands and he has blood on his feet and there is blood that's coming down out of his face and it just resounded right on through that, that cell. That's him. That's him. He's coming. He is coming to set us free. And so they gathered around to the door and started looking. And when he walked in, they said, you've got to be the one who shed your blood. You came to set us free. And he said, no, I'm not the one. But he's coming right after me because he just told me on the cross that I'll see you today in paradise. I want you to know he's coming to set us free. And then they saw him. Here he came. And they said, they looked at him and said, are you him? He said, I am. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening up the prison to them that are bound, and set at liberty those that were captive. Just like he said, he walked out of that barred tomb. Death was no terror to him. Satan couldn't keep him down and all of his hosts. 
They were no match to him, and gray doors could not hold him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall live. Our musicians are coming. I want to close. Here's a few little remarks God dropped into my spirit. No event in history has shaped the world like life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're justified by his blood. That blood keeps us reaching regardless of where you are or what you have done. Sin may have scarred your life so bad that no one even recognizes who you used to be. But Christ calls from Calvary, and he can change. His blood is for those that are like Peter, that can't make up their mind if they're for or against, for fence-sitters, men who cannot make up their minds if if they're going to serve him with all of their heart or not. They're not sure that they're even for him or not. But this blood comes from the Lord to help you make up your mind that you can serve the Lord. Because that precious blood was shed that we might be saved. Now let me tell you a story and then I, I'm going to quit. I have a friend of mine. His name is Pete. And uh, he and I have been friends since, I don't know, since I was about 17, 18 years ago. 17 years old. And we've always kind of been together and and then, then somewheres in our 20s, we got separated, and he got out of church, and I went to college in Houston, and we kind of, our way split. And, and so while I was pastoring in Eunice, a lady came and said, do you know a, a guy named Pete? I said, oh, I know him. And she said, well, he's in hospital, and he's asking for you because he's dying with cancer. And I said, well, I'll go see him. And so I went, and when I saw him in Baton Rouge, he was in bad shape, and he got to crying and telling me about his life, and he had been married four or five times, and I don't know how many shack-ups, and it was just pitiful. He, his wife left him with a child, and, and she took the child to Texas with her and, and had a restraining order on him, and he'd have to visit his child by parking in the distance and just looking at his daughter get off the bus with a pair of binoculars and get back on in the evening. And, and it hurt him deeply. But matter of fact, he told me that he bought his same house back three times, all the ladies that he had in it. But uh, we were, I think, my Joe, my Joe and son-in-law was with us, and we, I think we're in Mississippi, if I remember right. Uh, he, he called me, and he said uh, he had two daughters. They live in Texas. But uh, he called me, and he said, let me tell you something. He said, uh, one of my daughters called me a while back and said, Daddy, said, uh, do we have another sister somewhere? And he said, oh, no. 
No, I just had two daughters. He's now communicating with them. And so they said, okay. And so after a while, uh, another one called and said, Daddy, do we have another, uh, do you have another daughter? Or do I, we have a sister somewhere? And he said, no, no, we don't. I said, okay. And he said, why? They, he said, because they said they got this, this girl that keeps calling and said she thinks that uh, you are her daddy. He said, it just it can't be, no way. So anyhow, when that happened a couple of times, he told his daughters, he said, you go ahead and tell her to call me. So she called him. And she said, you know what? I was given away when I was just a baby. I, I never knew anybody that I was kin to. And she said, I've been looking for my mom and my daddy, and I'm not looking for anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a pharmacist and got a nice home in, in uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, and, and we're, we're fine. I, I don't want any, but I'm just looking for somebody that has the same blood that I got. And he said, I'm sorry, I, I'm sure, you know, you want to find him, but I'm not your daddy. She said, well, let me ask you something. She said, you remember years ago, and she named the time, and said there was a couple that moved into the church at uh, Melville and, and said uh, they had a young daughter, and you and her had a date. He said, yeah, I remember that. He said, I, she said, I am the result of that date. I am your baby. He said, I believe you're right. They took DNA, and sure enough, she was his baby. And <laughs> she sent a picture, and she looked more like him than he looked like himself. And, and so she said, I want to come visit my daddy. I want to come see him. And so he called me. He was all nervy and scared. And he said, you got to be here. You got She's going to come. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. You going to? I said, oh, no, no. I didn't get you into it. And you're going to get yourself out of it. And so somebody, somebody videoed it, and it was so funny. And we, we teased him. And she drove up, and her family got out and had son and daughter and her husband got out, and she just ran and just jumped in his arms, and he didn't know what to do. He just what to do with his hands, and, and she just crying and sobbing, and she said, hold me, Daddy, just hold me until all the pieces come back together. Just hold me. And their time together grew, and they would talk every day. And, but the very next day, he told her, said, I'm going to have a barbecue. And I'm going to invite all my friends and my family to come. And you can, you can meet your family. And she said, okay. So he called me and he said, uh, I want you to come. Well, if they got food, I'm going. So, uh, so I took off and, and I got over there. And so we... He was barbecuing. They had a lot of people there. And, and here's what I want to tell you. They said, we need some ice. And so I said, well, I'll go to town and buy some ice. And so her husband, he said, well, I'll just ride with you, preacher. I said, okay, come on. So 
we got in the truck and we started towards town. And here, just down the road a little bit, he broke down and started crying. And he said, I got to ask you something. He said, we, we're not church folks. We don't, I don't know anything about church or God. And he said, it's a shame. But he said, let me ask you something. He said, uh, my wife, a few years ago, he said, she came home from work and she was crying. And I said, baby, what's, what's wrong? What's going on with you? And she said, daddy was in town today. And he said, well, good. You met him? No. You, did you see him? No, I didn't see him. But I know my daddy was in town today. A few days later, she got over it. He said, almost a year to the day, he said, she came home again, weeping, crying. He said, what, what happened now? What's going on? She said, my daddy was in town today. He said, you, you mean, good, you, you met your daddy? He said, no, I didn't see him. But I know my daddy was in town today. <laughs> and he said, preacher, you got to explain to me something. He said, have you and Pete ever been, been in Fredericksburg in November? I said, oh, yeah. Many years running. I said, we would hunt in Sonora and Junction. I said, we'd drive to a uh, Fredericksburg, and there we would eat. He said, do you think it's possible that when y'all went into town that my wife knew her daddy was in town? I said, I believe it because that's how thick blood is. That blood connects us. With that said, what you're feeling today, your daddy's in the house. The Father is here to meet you. Would you stand to your feet? Does anybody want to meet their heavenly Father? He's not going to leave us here. He's coming back. And we're going to meet him. And because he lives, we shall also live. Because he lives, your marriage can be resurrected. Your faith can be resurrected. Your dreams can be resurrected. Your health can be resurrected. Your ministry can be resurrected. Our Father's in the house. You feel that? He's walking up and down the aisles. The eyes see hand of conviction upon our shoulders. There's an undercurrent of that glory. I just come to tell somebody his blood has been shed. And your sins have been justified as if they've never happened. And you and I become sons and daughters of Jesus.
Anybody want to join me up here? We're going home. But join me up here and let's give praise to our Heavenly Father before we go. It's good to have our dad here today with us.